Well, it's another Wake Up With KC, and today I have been curious and wondering about this topic that I want to talk about, and I've mentioned about quantum physics and, you know, how history, science, and spirituality is all connected, and quantum physics, neuroscience, and what about time traveling? Is there such a thing, and what is that experience like if it's there's some truth to it. So I have a very special guest that's joining me today to talk about that, Derek Laudermitt. Derek, welcome to Wake Up With KC. It's such an honor and a pleasure to have you here today. Kimberly, thanks for having me. I am like, first of all, you've, you are in the energetic healing, uh, world and i'm as i think and i have this funny feeling like you are also like a light worker like myself yeah there's a lot, a lot of labels you could try to pin on me uh, <laughs> but it's just that uh, resonating I of, yeah i do a lot of exploring uh different spiritual and metaphysical concepts so how did that begin for you like what what did you experience what did you go through and like discover or have that realization like whoa wait something you know what was your yeah thing? yeah i um i was trained as a let's call it a materialist in the sciences i was a uh, microbiologist studying viruses and bacteria the beginnings of life i worked in yellowstone uh, we would go out into the into the wilderness in Yellowstone National Park and sample in the hot springs and look for little microbes that live in boiling acid or live beneath ice sheets, uh, various different extreme conditions like you might find on other planets or at the beginnings of life on Earth. And, um, you know, so I have this very scientific training uh, that was kind of a program that, that I was operating on. I'm just going to be a professor of science when I grow up. Uh, it was kind of a thing that I always expected. Um, and then I became a professional adventurer and I was traveling the world, living in lots of different countries and started having some pretty rad experiences in my travels. I, I witnessed a secret ceremony um, on the, the slopes of Mount Agung, which is one of the biggest volcanoes uh, in Indonesia. It's in Bali. And they basically... 10,000 people turned on rainy season in this, this secret midnight ceremony that I, I was in the process of setting a world record and I stumbled across it and they, it was pretty remarkable to, to, you know, even the local guides, they didn't really know that it was happening. And so it was uh, a really a privilege just to see it, but that was the first time I sort of realized the power of group consciousness to create physical reality. Um, and I had several other experiences. I, I had um, sort of my first out-of-body experience while meditating at Angkor Wat, which is a temple oriented to the sun in Cambodia, uh, one of these ancient sites like the pyramids. Uh, and then I encountered a, a magical tree, which is like a 10, not 10,000, a 1,000-year-old tree in the jungles of Bali, which gave me another sort of out-of-body experience and a mission to 
take people out into nature and reconnect with nature, but it was very dramatic, emotionally charged experience. So, so I had these kind of wild experiences and my scientific mind started thinking like, well, um, what is the underlying mechanism? How is this all working? You know, like, how is it that people can turn on rainy season with a ceremony or how is it that a tree can alter my state of consciousness? And so there must be some fundamental scientific principles that allow this to happen. And that's when I started exploring. I also had a lot of different hands-on healing experiences with different native shamans and healers in different cultures uh, around the world. Pretty dramatic, um, you know, just powerful people sharing their, their work. And so having started to collect all these experiences, uh, it was just really fascinating. And then I started digging into what is the, what does the scientific literature say? What do we know already about how all this phenomenon works? And there's actually extensive research that can back up uh, most of these phenomenons, but most scientists just um, aren't aware of it, I think. Well, well then let me ask you something. I mean, um, you've discovered like new species in Yellowstone uh, National yes. Park. Uh, can you elaborate on what these species were? Yeah, these were species of virus, which, okay. um, so a virus infects uh, single-celled organisms. That's what I was studying. And these single-celled organisms were living in boiling acid. So a very high temperature, high acidic environment, um, which some of the hot springs are boiling acid. And so these are very they're adapted to their ecological niche, right? If you put them in room temperature water, they'd probably die because um, they they would probably just explode. Um, but, and they're very simple. There's not much going on. There's just a few a few proteins really that, that make them up. Um, but they've been living and replicating in these really tough environments for a long, long time. And so it's just interesting work to to see what's there. And then the process of sort of discovering a new species is like, okay, we found a, we found a thing that's, you can only see it under a electron microscope. It's, you know, 90, 90 nanometers, I think, or mm -hmm. so very, very small and um, smaller than, you know, when you think about human viruses, it's smaller than that, uh, more, more simple than a human virus even. And, um, you know, you, you look and you find a new particle and then you have to describe it. You have to study it. You have to isolate it, get it by itself, purify it in a way, and then, you know, sequence the genome and all these different uh, things that allow you to then say, okay, here we definitively have something that's never been characterized before. Wow. That's interesting in itself. It, you know, when looking at these, you know, these viruses and, and these species and everything, I'm wondering is if there is like a, a somewhat of a connection with us and 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 nature kind of way. Um, viruses, uh, it's a it's an interesting way of propagating. So the point of a virus, right, is just to continue its genetic lineage. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a very it's a very simple mechanism to do that. It just allows a living organism to replicate for it. 
Um, so viruses aren't alive until they infect something. So it's like a like a dead protein particle. When it infects you, then it's alive while your body is reproducing it. But fundamental to that, there's um, like if you think, okay, the material world is a byproduct of the vibration, the field that creates it, right? It's a vib it's a it's a byproduct of consciousness. So mm -hmm. for any of these things, for a parasite or a virus, there's a um, there's a frequency to that, right? There's a um, electromagnetic field of some sort. Well, I would say, I mean, a parasite at any any level, right, is something that is uh, just sort of sucking away the energy from something else. And this happens even uh, galactically speaking, there's sort of uh, larger stars that are being sucked away by smaller stars. And so, um, you know, you could say, okay, well, this is an interesting aspect of biology, but there's, but I like to think, what is what is more fundamental than that, like underlying that the structure of the atoms, and the nature of what it is that's creating a virus or a organism like a human. Um, there's, there's so many things that that make us up that that would be beyond mm, there's there's levels of comprehension of understanding right we can say we can measure on this level we're made up of cells and atoms and electromagnetic fields and all these things but under that what is there under that so there's a, a thought form essentially that underlies that a concept wow. of what it is to be a human and what was it like living as like a digital nomad when you were on your traveling journey yeah it's i mean it's amazing um there's there's upsides and downsides of course trade-offs to everything um the downside i would say is that you give up um efficiency and productivity if you're really trying to build a business or create a movement uh it's much more effective to have a daily routine and i work with a lot of entrepreneurs and uh so we found right when people are moving around a lot there's these costs to like figuring out where they're going to get food and where they're going to live for a few weeks and they need to make some new friends quick. And we found this as well, you know, when we would move from country to country, we would, we would try to do it a little slower, like three months at a time. Um, and you spend the first month just making friends and getting used to your surroundings and even having your brain adjust to the language or driving on the other side of the road or whatever it might be, which is, you know, when, when you're immersed in that situation, it, it explodes your creativity, right? Because you have to look at the world in a new way. So creativity can go way up and novelty and excitement and joy and all of these things goes way up but productivity and um, actually achieving what you want in the world can go down um so there are some trade-offs but being immersed in different uh, cultures and also in different ecosystems like we lived um we lived in a rice field pretty much when we lived in bali uh, we lived in a surfing village in Portugal, and we lived in an ancient uh, port as it was part of the um, Ven the Empire of Venice uh, when we lived in Croatia. So this is like you know a 
our house was like 300 year old house and uh uh, you know, the well down the street was 1500 years old and things like that. So it immerses you in a completely different framework for living, which what that does, if you're an entrepreneur or a scientist or a spiritual explorer, that allows you to basically say, okay, I have this existing framework, but I know there's lots of other ways of looking at this. And it makes it so that your beliefs aren't so rigid so that you, like belief systems can be swapped out much more easily, uh, which allows um, probably probably allows you to hone in on the truth a little bit better because you're not stuck to believing one thing or another. Right. So it's to me, it's like, you know, we, we're all taught these beliefs from our upbringing, you know, religion and society. And it's like, to me, it's like, well, you're just taking in what this person says to be true instead of questioning it. You know, you just take it on in your, as your own. And that's why I think a lot of people are so unhappy. So, like, even not content. They have a false identity of who they are. And that's why they struggle today. And I've never been outside of the U.S. So, I don't know what it's like I've seen I've read books I've seen documentaries I've you know that's my only way of getting uh, like a conceptual knowing but I look forward to actually going there to see it for myself and I think everybody should do that yeah I started in college I studied abroad in Australia which speaks English and so it was a good good way for me to dip my toe in the water you know it's a little bit different but not too much and then places like cambodia and laos and vietnam are a little bit farther outside of your comfort zone my comfort zone uh, probably many people's because uh you don't speak you know the language is different and it's not as e there's just the developing world just isn't as easy <laughs> so you just got to figure more shit out yeah, and then when you come back home, you're so appreciative and, like, you don't take nothing for granted. You know, I've oh heard people, like, go to these other countries and they're like, you know, my daughter went to Costa Rica for um, a sea turtle kind of volunteering mm -hmm. thing. And then she went to a retreat in Bali and she's like, Mom, I'll never take <laughs> home for granted. I'll never take this for granted. Like, it's totally... I'm like, good for you that you went to go see that because now you understand how it's not that you're privileged. It's just you're very lucky and blessed to be where you're at, you know, but now you can show compassionate to, you know, where other people are that don't have what you have kind of thing. Yeah, it's so funny when we travel with our kids um, and when we're doing a big international trip, they're they're champs, you know, they don't complain, they're up for it. When it's hard, they're up for it. But when it's easy, they complain. Like when, you know, they don't get their like second serving of dessert, or when it's like, too hot to go outside, when it's not actually that hot, you know, they're like, ah. so it's, it's weird how uh, these comforts, and I think this applies to anybody who's prioritizing comfort, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's like, Oh, well, I just have to avoid discomfort at all costs, but that eliminates a lot of 
amazing things, a lot of growth, a lot of transformation, mm-hmm. uh, if you prioritize safety and comfort. Right. And then you, what you said you had like an out of body experience with this mystical tree, you know, it's like a thousand years old. And I know it's like, to me, it's like synergistic energy exchange. It's like having sex, but energetically wise. And connecting to that, it's like an electromagnetic field because everything is of energy. We are all of energy. So can you share what that experience, you know, just like hugging that tree, you know, what, what was that like? Yeah, and probably if it happened to me now, it would be more of an exchange. Uh, At that point, it was more of a gift in the sense that I wasn't really expecting or prepared to receive anything from the tree other than just, here's a really special old tree. Um, So I I hugged the tree or put my hands on the tree and was just like, oh, what an amazing tree. And it was like kind of an electric shock a uh, flood of emotions, uh, hot and cold, sweats. And then uh, well, then I got scared and I was like, oh, what is going on? And I was traveling with uh, my ex-girlfriend at the time and she said, uh, why, don't you, why don't you just sit here with the tree and have the full experience because I think there's something for you here. And it was very wise of her to suggest that. And so I did, I, I kind of sat down in one of the inside of one of the trunks of the tree and uh, allowed myself to relax enough that my consciousness was transported. It was it was like I was no longer there in that forest. I was sent to another forest in another part of the world, which uh, was in China, uh, north western China, where the Gobi Desert, uh, kind of Mongolia China area, where the Gobi Desert is rapidly expanding. Uh, it's one of the fastest growing desert regions in the world, I believe still. And it was essentially this, this vision of sand just coming in and choking out this forest. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is kind of scary and intense. And it was showing this to me as like, you know, we're, we've forgotten humanity has forgotten uh, its own connection with nature. Many people have. And, And so and, and I had to an extent as well, because I was spending a lot of time, you know, growing my business online, right? So I'm looking at a physical screen, I'm indoors building something. So I'm surrounded by walls, not really living outside, not sleeping outside, uh, sometimes not even having my bare feet on the earth. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was a reminder of, you know, if you don't pay attention to something, then you'll forget about it right and it was it was sort of a a call to yeah spend more time with nature myself and bring leaders and change makers entrepreneurs back into nature so they can reconnect but also access uh the creativity the wisdom the guidance from nature for you know if you're building a company if you're building a project uh, you can get a lot of special insight when you when you allow nature into your process well and then again i mean you know based on you know 
what I've observed and seen what's been going on for like decades now of industries and these corporations and everything it's you know it's all about profit and making money and you know a lot of them don't think about okay if I go and destroy this part of the land and you know take these trees and do this and that and the other what is going to be the repercussions later down the road for future generations you know how is that going to affect and like deplete our natural resources that are already here and I think it's because of greed and power and control and I feel like we now we have to wake up and shift our consciousness to where we can see finally of what's truly going on and by doing that is like really taking a pause get into nature let nature show you wouldn't you agree yeah i would say uh again you know greed power and control are simply byproducts of a belief system mm -hmm. and so if you believe that you and i are separate uh, then I have to sort of wall off my money, my resources from you and protect my wealth because otherwise you'll take it. Uh, you know, that's kind of where greed comes from. And right, if I don't see myself in connection with the earth, then taking from the earth uh, is just like, you know, you take as much as you can. But But if you realize the fundamental connectivity of everything then it's like not the future generations problem because that's you as well and so mm -hmm. you, you know you would never do any you would never try to control someone else because it's just controlling you like you would never try to take more resources from someone else because that's just taking from you and so this is a fundamental shift in perception of how we are interconnected together as humans together as nature together as all of the universe and that basically eliminates all of these problems because it's a different it's coming from a different level of consciousness completely so it's there's i think a lot of people are trying to solve problems by like addressing it like you know okay we're gonna you know mm, cut our emissions by 50 percent or we're gonna force corporations to show us what they're doing this is all at the same level this is like trying to play whack-a-mole right problem comes up you try to fix it but the level of consciousness is still the same so you're just gonna more and more problems are just going to arise until that fundamental way of viewing things is shifted yeah, it's like you know, the definition of sanity is you're like doing the same old system programming and whatnot, but you expect different results and that's not, it's not going to work anymore. <laughs> but it's like, have you heard of earthing? In the sense of getting your bare feet on the ground? Yes. Sure. I, I can't, it's funny how like you're talking about, you know, nature and whatnot. And I just got done watching a, uh, this guy, I forget his name, um, Clinton Ober, 
I do believe. Okay. And then there's and then they get science and data based on him just walking barefoot. And then um, there was another scientist researcher that was was doing data, like doing research, getting all this data and noticing the difference on, you know, the healing effects of getting barefoot and getting into nature. You know, if, and now I'm like, if people were more aware of this, you know, wow, what a difference it can make. Yeah, it's, um, you know, one great example with the, with the barefoot thing is, uh, so you carry a charge in your body, right? And it's, your body is trying to maintain its optimal set point of pH and electrical charge. And when you, when you step on the ground, it immediately calibrates that charge and sort of recharges your batteries. And then you can look at the blood, for example, red blood cells stop clumping together. Your blood thins out almost immediately when you, when you go barefoot on, on the ground, it takes like five seconds. Right. Um, so there's just, there's phenomenal benefits to it that can happen really quick. So we, as a family in the morning, we kind of have this routine where it's like, we drink a bunch of water and we bless the water and, you know, like, thank you. I respect you. I appreciate you. Like, thank you for giving and sustaining my life. Then we go outside and, you know, shirts off full face into the sun barefoot on the ground, uh, doing some sun salutations. And then usually we're, uh, doing some, some movement or bouncing on the trampoline or something to move the limp through us. Right. And so before we eat anything, we've just, uh, we've just touched the earth. We've stimulated our circadian rhythms by looking at the sun. We've flushed out the toxins that have come from sleep by moving the lymph. We've had water, which, uh, you know, rehydrates after a long night's sleep and all these things are really they're they're not spiritual techniques but they're really managing the state of the physical body which allows you to you know the cleaner the cleaner you can get your physical body the cleaner you're going to get guidance and intuition from higher dimensions right it just makes it a lot easier to do that so we we have a, a focus both with my clients my entrepreneur clients and thought leaders to really think like a pro athlete to optimize your physical state so that you can do the spiritual work that you need to do. Uh, you mentioned earlier about, you know, um, entrepreneurs and business and whatnot. And, you know, I, you stated that there's like five levels of abundance and why we shouldn't focus on money. Can you share that with us? Yeah, as a, as a result of capitalism, most people uh, equate money with abundance. And there's all these ads on social media, like make be, you know, become a seven figure entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, my client did $50,000 in the first hour of her launch. But, okay, so there's all this focus on money, which people equate with abundance, but that's a really uh, narrow band of focus. And it actually limits your potential it limits your growth, um, both as a person and as an organization. So, uh, of course, money is one aspect, but if you work with the definition of abundance, that is being able to do what you need to do when you need to do it, then 
there's actually a lot of ways to go about that. And in my work, I train different aspects uh, because it's always nice to be able to acquire these skills, right? These are all things that you can learn and practice, um, not just innate things. So being lucky is part of it, right? If you're in the right place at the right time, uh, if you, you know, if you want to buy a house, for example, you could buy it with money or you could just win it in a raffle, you know, or uh, there's many other ways, right? Somebody could give you a house. You could trade, uh, you know, there's a guy that traded paper clips. Uh, he started with a red paper clip and traded his all the way up until he traded for a house using only barter, right? So there's a lot of different avenues to do what you need to do when you need to do it. And each of these aspects can be broken down and acquired as a skill so that you fully expand your, your pathways of abundance. And I'd like, I have a quote and I just took it off my door. I have these little quotes on my little thing. And, it says, <laughs> and this is a, a, to me, a perfect definition of how I resonate with abundance. Abundance is having an open heart and a life lived and experienced fully. You yeah, know, it's experienced fully. Yeah. Which which means there's uh, right. There's nothing in the way of doing what you want to do when you want to do it. No. And just like synchronicities, things lining up, the universe, you know, bringing a person to give you a message to help guide you on that, you know, the next opportunity. And, you know, th it's just fascinating to me about the. You know, yeah, there is a law of attraction. There is universal law. There's synchronicities, you know. That's part of abundance because it's little pieces connecting the dot and then just being open to receiving and living and experiencing. Yeah, so if we're going to talk about synchronicities, for example, um, you and I could have the same amount of synchronicities happening to us, right? But it depends on how we follow up with those synchronicities, how we realize that they're happening, right? We might get some really good guidance or information from the universe in, in terms of like, we see the same animal three times in a day. Well, what does that mean, right? It could, it could be something very valuable for you, or it's just an interesting phenomenon. And, and if you, Okay, so maybe there's information there, uh, or maybe there's synchronicity in that somebody offers you an opportunity when you're looking for it. But if you don't follow up in the right way, if you don't, uh, right, the the door is open. But right, if you don't walk through and and continue along, then you're not going to take full advantage of it. So there's a skill in how you collaborate with the synchronicities that you receive. Interesting. Have you, this is uh... in, in science, for example, so there's this great story of the guy who discovered penicillin, right, which is probably one of the best inventions that saved the most lives in history. And it was an accident. It was um, contamination, right? Uh, this is, comes from my field, microbiology. He had a Petri dish and it had some mold growing on it and he was just going to throw it away. But he noticed the mold was stopping the bacteria from growing. And he thought, huh, I know that bacteria is a huge problem for infections after surgeries and, you know, World War I battle wounds. It's, 
more people dying in the hospitals than on the battlefield. And so he, that was the sort of eureka moment where he was like, there must be something here that's happening, but he didn't know specifically what it was yet. So he had to do the experiments to find out that it's actually this compound penicillin that is the effective compound here. And that's when they could make it into a medicine. So he had this amazing synchronicity, this eureka moment, but he had to do the work to take full advantage of it. Right. That's a good analogy on and perspective of looking at that with synchronicities. And okay, this is going to sound corny, but how do you use telepathy to connect with your cat and your son? <laughs> this is something that I, I, um, I just enjoy experimenting with different techniques and telepathy and telekinesis. I think if I was able to master those, that would be super cool. It would, I would feel like a superhuman and, but I'm still very beginner at those things, but it's fun to practice. And, um, <clears throat> I, I started realizing that my cats were telepathic with me because I would start having these thoughts that I thought were my own, but eventually I realized they were the cat. It was like, I, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, whatever, something to do with my business. And all of a sudden I'm like, I should go feed my cat. It's like, where did that come from? Well, it's, it wasn't actually for me. It was a cat standing in the door saying like, come feed me. And I thought that it was just my random thought stream that had entered my head, but it happened happens enough times. And then there's a sort of a back and forth where I'm speaking out loud and my cat is like planting the thoughts in my head. Like I want to go outside or uh, I need some water or feed me or that's, you know, there's not, there's not too much variety, but um, I realized that there was intent behind the communication. And so when I learned that telepathy for me, the way I experience it is that it feels like my own thoughts, but it's actually coming from someone else. And the hardest part is distinguishing my thoughts from someone else when they're both flowing through my awareness. And so uh, this happens to me all the time when I just, I know exactly what someone's going to say before they say it. And I think that it's my thought, but it's actually, I'm just picking it up, you know, five, 10 seconds ahead of when they say it. And I think what's, what's going on is there's just a, a receptivity and openness. I think when you, when you have cleared the, let's call it cleared the blockage in front of your, cause the heart is the receiver of telepathy, I believe more than the, mm -hmm. uh, than like the, the crown chakra or something like that. Right. Um, when you have an open heart center, I believe it's just much easier to receive tele telepathic messages. Wow, because it's more of a feeling. Feeling is the language to the soul. I don't get them as feelings. I get the as actual thoughts, <clears throat> but I've done practice with other animals and I get it as sensations in the in the body, right? I can feel. <clears throat> so, so I had a friend teach me her version of animal telepathy and I, f I was working with horses <clears throat> And these were horses that she already knew their medical conditions and their diagnosis because they were her existing clients. And she said, okay, what's, you know, what's going on with this horse? And I would go through and say, oh, it's got a pinched nerve in its neck and it's got a, 
problem with its hoof and it's favoring its front legs because the back legs are weak or whatever it might be. And I would feel that in different places in my body, but mostly I'm getting telepathy as thoughts. Oh, wow. So being in, um, being empathic, I would feel other people's pain and then I would go to the guides. Okay. Hold up a second. I didn't feel this like when I walked into the room mm -hmm. and I used it as a tool to be able to help that person. So I would go to my guides and I'm like, okay, how do I, you know, what modality do I use? What? And I would just let them channel through me and go through the, the motions of helping that client. So I find that fascinating. But I also thought like telepathy was, you know, like when you think of the person and all of a sudden you get a phone call from them or a text. And I was like, wow, that's a little odd. Isn't that some part of telepathy too? Yeah. And these are perhaps the best studied uh, aspects of telepathy. Uh, they've proven that they've, like the experiment would be you have a list of four people who are going to call you. And so there's a 25% chance if you were to guess randomly and then people get it right. Something like 36% of the time. So much better than random, uh, in knowing who's going to call you. There's also, uh, a, an interesting experiment with a one way mirror, which is, um, so two, two rooms side by side with a one way mirror and the other person, <laughs> is staring at or not staring at the other person through the mirror. And so the person being stared at <laughs> presses a button when they know they're being stared at. And that's, uh, so they're, they're telepathically receiving like when the other person is looking at them, even though they can't see the other person. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. So and... We've all had that sort of, I know I'm being stared at feeling. Yeah, even in the unseen realm of, in the invisible spiritual realm, I call it, is just, I would get a feeling like someone, and I, and I look around, I'm like, okay, guys, what what's up? You know, who are you? And I felt a negative kind of vibration. I would just like, you're not allowed. Go away. <laughs> get away from me. But then if I felt, um, because of my channeling, you know, I, there's like, guides i call them guides but they're like ancient civilization guides they're highly evolved being guides that would come in and channel through me and like have a message but it's in their native language which i find fascinating i have no clue what i'm mm. saying so that's the interesting <laughs> part <laughs> you know uh but it's very it, it's the vibration the the frequencies the you know tuning into the masculine you know like energy and the feminine energy how my body like takes a different kind of posture and whatnot mm. and then the tone of my voice it's like i'm learning all of this and recognizing certain things so it is it, i can't make this stuff up <laughs> But coming to like highly evolved beings and, and ancient civilization and everything, like you've discovered the, abil the uh, ability to time travel. So can you share with us like your perspective 
or perception of time traveling and what is that experience like and like how did this happen to you yeah it was um so speaking of these highly evolved beings right they operate from a dimensional awareness which is not linear time so we here on earth perceive time as a stream a linear stream uh partly keeps so it keeps us in this this narrow band of perception of, of how our life goes uh partly in order to learn in a certain way to have uh, sensory physical experiences that that progress um and so that's that's a, a useful way of experiencing the world but it is a very narrow band of perception so these higher frequential beings right fourth fifth sixth density beings uh can experience time sort of simul simultaneous right so so time travel is kind of like space travel as well at these higher dimensions um and so I was wondering like, okay, what would it be like for me to try to have that type of experience? What, what would it feel like? And so I approached it rather than trying to create a physical time machine to manipulate the space-time fabric. I said, this has to become an awareness it has to come from a perspective. And so <clears throat> really one of the first things that I did was, um, you you have to separate yourself from the collective consciousness which agrees about the time stream right you have to have a perspective which is of a different frequency than the here's how it is on earth uh, which you can get to through experiencing gratitude joy peace unconditional love these types of higher higher frequency Vibration. emotional yeah. states yeah and um, and then so so and then stop you know stop looking at the clock, and what I would do is I would just practice uh, arriving in the right place at the right time, or having plenty of time to complete my tasks because a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs that I work with they wish they had more time because they're so busy they want to spend time with their families but they also want to create their mission in life and they also want to go have some fun and all you know. It's like, ah, I wish I had more time. So what does it feel like to always have enough time? And these are specific experiences rather than just the clock telling you you have enough time. It's actually a feeling state. So if you start from the feeling state, then your experiences can correspond to that. And the the clock time falls falls in line from there. And so I would, you know, I would go to the gym and I would say, I'm going to do a three hour workout or a two hour workout, but I only have uh, half an hour before dinner, according to the clock. And I would make sure that I was uh, living from that state of mm, gratitude or peace and ease and just take my full workout and arrive home just as the table is being set in time for dinner or you know, I would go out all day without looking at the clock and I had to pick up my son from school at 3.30 on the dot. Um, and when I arrive at school, I don't know exactly what time it is, but I'm walking up to pick him up as he's walking out. And there's all these other people. They got there a little bit early or some people got there a little bit late, but I'm the only one that walked up right at the exact perfect time when my son was walking out. And maybe, you know, who knows what the actual clock time was, but it was the experience of I'm in the right place at the right time and I've never had to check 
my clock to to make that so oh wow that's isn't it like when i'm hearing you talk i'm like it's almost what about i want to say like astro project like your soul essence and you know having the experience and almost like a future but you're bringing it into the present kind of thing would that be somewhat in a connection to time traveling i would say it's it's more like the way i experience it is more like rising it's like a, an astronaut maybe um when you finally get free of the gravitational field of the agreement of time then you can sort of move and float around more freely because i've been like practicing on like i want to astro project i want to like you know usually they say at night time you know when you're in sleep like a deep REM, i guess sleep that your your soul sort of leaves and you're traveling and doing all this other thing and then you come back before you wake up kind of thing and people have had some crazy experiences from doing that i'm like i just want to astro project so i could go to other dimensions and meet other people and beings and yeah i want to have a conversation with them yeah there's a lot of work that i do in dream time and it's another you know like another thing that entrepreneurs want is you know they want access to creativity or good decision making or knowing exactly what to do or you know like really customers coming really easy right all of these things can be done in dream time when you know how to pay attention and you know how to uh, instruct your consciousness to go and do something for you um, because you're not bound by the same rules <clears throat> when you're in uh in dream time right you don't have a you don't have gravity you don't have all these constraints of the physical world so there's a lot more you can get done. Um, someone recently told me that one night of dream time is like three months of productive work in waking time, which is amazing. Wow. And then like what, like I've heard other, uh, I guess other people having experiences where they would quantum leap and connect with their I guess other self or higher self to get advice or future self to get advice on what they needed to do in the like now kind of moment. Have you, you know, met people that have done that and experienced that yourself? Well, another aspect of time travel would be to go to a different <clears throat> space time location, right? To the future or to the past. And because we are essentially fractals, right? If you think of a of an oversoul consciousness unit, and then all of your lifetimes, past mm -hmm. lives, future lives, and you now are all extending down from that over oversoul, like uh, branches on a tree. So if you you can you can sort of send your awareness up the branch and back down to the you that's in the future. Right. And that's still fundamentally the same branch, but with a different endpoint experience. So you could, the easiest way to go to the future, like find a past life back in Roman times or dinosaur times or whatever it might be, and just 
that version that is that is you and just go and look at the world through that version of you through their eyes um, it's actually easier than trying to go as someone else um, so you can essentially just tune into what it's like for that version of you and then just you know see the world as they're walking around the coliseum in in rome and just experience life uh, through them and then uh i know about energetic traumas so and past traumas you know like because of the experience of like maybe i was in rome and they were torturing you know those that did not convert to christianity and they were you know if i was back in that time and i was experiencing that torture that might have carried in my present of something else kind of trauma so you could go back and find out the root of why you suffer or conditions diseases as well to heal from it wouldn't you agree? well listen to the way you're speaking right you're talking about going back and that's the perspective right of linear time stream mm -hmm. but really all these lives are happening simultaneously right so if you heal from it now in your life, it's simultaneously healing the event as it's happening in the past. Oh, that's a different perspective of looking at it. Because I always, I always was thinking like past life regression of, mm -hmm. you know, what's affecting me now, the root of where it began was in a past life. So if I could correct it, change it, it would change my present yeah it's so you you can go forwards and backwards right if you heal yourself now then your future self thanks you but if you heal it in the future then it changes the present as well so if you've if you are having a, a great life in this lifetime it could be the work of your future self or your past self doing their spiritual work oh wow i never looked at it that in that perspective thank you and so what are you you have your own podcast the derek laudermick show yeah and where can people find you on that uh yeah so you know wherever you listen to podcasts and then my website is dereklaudermilk.com and uh we've got a lot of other things on the website including this uh, new earth community project we're working on which is a way to implement a lot of the research that I've done in the, in the metaphysical world. But it's also, uh, as we were talking about, you know, what's going to fix all these problems that we see around us, it's operating from a, of a new level of consciousness. Right. And so really holding that as a container for how we relate to each other on a day-to-day -day basis. So living from the heart, communicating authentically, being aware of the present moment and what's real for us in the present moment. Um, and so there's a lot of fun things you can do from there, right? You can experiment with regenerative agriculture. We're going to have a healing center, all kinds of things. So that's another project you can go to my site and, and read about. But I really love having these wild experiences, understanding the research, and then applying them to the world in a way that is exciting and helpful for people. Well, I'm all about 
you know, uh, awaken, educate, learn, evolve, you know, heal, transform, and be the best authentic version of you. So you can, we can all, not just individually, live our best life now, but we all start like connecting and unifying together, uniting together. Mm -hmm. And it would change the, it would change our whole perception of you know how we've been living but when we can change in here first then we help change the the world for the better we have to become better first and then the whole the world becomes better and that's what i thrive for that's my mission yeah i have a a, a little practice a exercise that i that i want to offer you in in how to like what parts of ourselves do we change first or how do we go about changing the world by changing ourselves and what i find is most fruitful for me is whenever i get upset about something in the world whenever something sticks out to me like i don't like that i want to change that in the world uh, i don't like this war or i don't like this tyranny or, or i don't like this oppression you know whatever it is uh that's the sign for me to heal it in myself because there's a lot of things that I'm not even noticing that are happening, um, but they're not coming up for me. So when I see something particularly that I don't like in the world, that's what I work on in myself. So where am I seeking to oppress someone or uh, defaulting to trying to control someone just because I'm you know, bigger or because I have more privilege or, or whatever. So this is, this is the, um, I think the, the, the way, because whatever you see that you want to shift, like that's, that's what you have to shift first in yourself, right? You don't, you don't want the government to keep secrets. Well, where are you still keeping secrets? Because you're afraid if you told the truth. Oh, wow. Because I'm all about, well, being a Virgo and virtue and honesty and integrity. I'm all about that. So, because the truth sets you free. So, if you're living authentic and being honest with yourself, then you can be with honest to others. So, it's like, why doesn't everybody else do that? That's my thing. It's like, why can't everybody just do that? It makes life a lot easier. Because <laughs> I don't like... Everyone's like, you talk too much. You're so open. You're so this. And I'm like, I can't help that. That's just me. I'd rather be this way because I see how other people are being and I can't understand why the, why be that way. <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't. I'm like, why? Because, you know, it's like law of attraction. You know, it's karma and things like that. Like, do you not realize what what you put out you get back and if there's anger there's deceit there's dishonesty there's it it's gonna come and bite you in the butt <laughs> you're gonna pay for it later so i'd rather get a reward than uh you know a beating or something you know what i'm saying <laughs> sure i just like don't get it and then you know looking at because i study history so if you don't learn your history, you're destined to repeat it. So that's also an energetic, you know, individual and collective. So I'm like, okay, if you could wake up to 
what was going on in history and learn about history, you'll see a pattern. You'll see the cycle, the pattern, mm-hmm. and that energetic energy of that trauma just passing forward. So if you could wake up, we can instantly like, oh, now I get this. That realization, aha moment, we can shift things from repeating itself. Yeah, you keep getting keep getting lessons until you learn them. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, why don't we wake up to this? You know? <laughs> and I guess that's why I started the podcast is like to educate and like question your own beliefs. You know, how are your beliefs serving you? Or are they somebody else's beliefs and you took them on as yourself and that's why you struggle in certain areas? And aspects of your life because you're really not living your true authentic self you're living somebody else's <laughs> yeah and this um, you know when I when I work with entrepreneurs uh, their capabilities of creating uh, you know a, a global global sized organization right depends on uh, their identity their belief structures much more than the habits or the actions that they're taking. And so a lot of times we will go in and address those things and learn how to, you know, you can manipulate your identity. You can have a new identity that's more useful, that's more empowering. Uh, But you have to understand how the subconscious mind works and how to shift beliefs uh, in, in order to be able to do that. Otherwise, you'll just keep doing it how you've been doing it. Right. And the definition of sanity, you know, keep doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting different results. That's insanity. (laughs) But then I've learned, I mean, do you also go with this with your clients? It's like, okay, what have you done in the past or keep trying to do that's not working? Look at it in a different perspective of, oh, wait a minute. It's like breaking it down into little fragments of why it wasn't working because of that one little thing. And then you once you like connect the dots of, oh, now I know why it didn't work because I was missing this little element. And it just shifts things kind of thing. Do you get that a lot with working with your clients? Yeah, and sometimes you can't predict which... Um modality which uh pattern of coaching or healing work is gonna break it open um but you know the the benefit of the coach right you can see the patterns right you can see exactly what someone's doing over and over again and then you can then you can bring awareness to it and come up with a plan to to shift out of it and do you experience working with your clients when they they solve their own issue by having that aha moment and that self-realization, like the light bulb goes on. Have you experienced that with your clients? Sure, yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, when uh, it's like, maybe you, you just experience everything as much easier because you're, you stopped, stopped overthinking it. Maybe you just stop thinking. And that just makes mm-hmm. all the difference. You know, you're not in your head about it anymore. You're trusting your own competence. You've you've proven to yourself in a bunch of different ways that you know what to do. And then you just do it. 
So what do you do, Derek, for fun to just, like, take a break from everything and just do something for fun? Uh, well, I used to be a pro cyclist, so I do a lot of different, you know, I'm always doing physical challenges right now. I'm playing competitive ultimate Frisbee, which I did last night. Uh, I'm growing a lot of different things. We eventually will, you know, when we have this community, we'll have a garden, but I've spent the last two years learning the growing conditions of almost, you know, the top 50 things that you can grow from pumpkins to watermelon to squash to beans and peas to uh, tomatoes and herbs. And you just, you know, I'm really interested in the in the science of growing. And, you know, eventually I hope to use like um, uh, acoustic fertilizer or, or vibrational fertilizer or um, biogeometry in order to increase crop yields and, and apply some of these more esoteric techniques to to optimize food production. Um, but it's also, there's a, just getting to know plants, right? And talking to them and seeing how they grow and deal with different conditions uh, has been really enjoyable for me for the last couple of years. Uh, I would look into Brussels sprouts. Okay, yeah, I haven't tried Brussels sprouts. Um, it's like, that would be one of the survival foods that I would definitely start growing because they it they could be in warm weather they could be in winter they're like one of your survival foods from what my <laughs> boyfriend tells me he goes if anything brussels sprouts <laughs> i was like really <laughs> okay there you go yeah so he goes they won't die it's like he lived in seattle <laughs> and he was like i was growing them but they, i'm like well what about here in florida He's like, well, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, they're like survival. That's your survival. Hmm. Like if a, an, a, uh, you know, like the world was coming to an end or, you know, a catastrophe was happening, hurricane, get, get your Brussels sprouts. They'll survive the hurricane. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, but having, what is, having seeds too, you know? Yeah. The seeds. Well, that's interesting. I'm like, and where is it that you are located where you're being able to farm? What climate? Um, environment? Uh, we're in Missouri. Uh, we're, okay. in, we're in St. Louis. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it's a nice growing season here. So what have you studied like in other, like for the, like the Pacific Coast, what works in that like environment and then the mid and then the east kind of thing are you learning you know what's the best mm, you know just uh just understanding like when you can get stuff in the ground and and when to do seedlings and can you plant stuff multiple times throughout the summer and uh it it puts puts me in touch with the seasons in a way in a new way i bet and you know it's fascinating to me because i'm like i don't i'm not in like the green thumb and into that but i've always been fascinated like okay why is it that certain parts they grow certain things in certain parts of the you know the united states 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, now then you got like the droughts then you got this. So it's like, what is, you know, I'm like a researcher and like an investigator, like, okay, so if this is droughting, why can't they take that same kind of thing and, and plant and seed and whatnot in parts that do get the, you know, plenty of water and rain and things like that. So... I was just curious about how that. Yeah, well, here's here's something interesting about that, which is we get a lot of apples from Washington State, right? They mm-hmm. they advertise for them. We, there's a lot of supply there, and there's a lot of wine regions there. There's not a lot of orchards in Missouri, partly because it's too moist, and so you get root rot, and the the trees are stunted in that way because the soil is essentially too moist and too it's it's clay. There's a lot of clay here. So very fine, dense soil. Um, and so there's not, there's only one orchard, commercial food orchard in Missouri, but there's a ton in Washington state, right? Just because of both the soil and the climate and things like that. Wow. And I know there are some apple orchards in North Carolina too. I think they're Macintosh apples. There's different types Mm -hmm. of apples. So it's, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. You know, if it's too, you know, watery or too moist, it could do more harm than good then. Yeah. But anywhere, uh, east of the Mississippi, there's plentiful rainfall. And so, right. The, the difference between these desert climates can be two inches to 60 inches, right. In Missouri. And so you just have an abundance of water. There's river systems, there's rainfall. And so if you match the soil and the, and the rainfall and the sunlight, that's, you're pretty far uh, along the way to, to high production. Oh, fascinating. Well, I wish you the best <laughs> of success in that. <laughs> and it's just, you know, the purpose of what you're doing with farming, seeding and whatnot is part of the community of um, more eco-friendly of showing people like, hey, you could grow your own stuff. Here's what you could do. Yeah, when I when I think about the future, I think uh, most people will be living in sort of high tech agrarian societies. Like when we refine our technology so that we have teleportation and sort of telepathy, right? Then we don't have to. We can travel anywhere we need. So it'll be like, what is the so the the benefits of a city, right? Which is the condensed uh, experiences, right? The opportunity to do a bunch of different things. Um, if either we have hover car technology, ultra fast transit, which we're gonna write the Navy has released its UFO patents, right? So that there's gravitational drive systems which are already being built into flying cars. That's coming down in the next couple of years, right? So if you have ultra fast flying cars or teleportation, then people are just gonna live in small communities wherever they want and will grow food together and will sort of, you know, 150 people is an optimal size for what a community is because you can keep track of all the relationships. When they get bigger than that, then it gets too unwieldy. And so I think we'll have these smaller units of society that that sort of govern themselves, um, but are more interconnected in a way. And this will be part of that, right? Just knowing how to each community will be probably closer to its food sources. 
Oh. It's like a futuristic sci-fi movie. Yeah, but it's, you know, coming coming to a village near you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, Derek, it's truly a honor and a pleasure of having you on this show. Thank you so much for taking the time out today and having this experience with me today. And I left all the information on how they can get a hold of you in the description notes. So if you want some quantum business coaching, um, you there, everything's right there for them to, to reach out. Amazing. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And have a wonderful, blessed rest of your week. And I look forward to staying in contact with you and having you on the show again. All right. There's lots to talk about. So yeah, we'll, oh, yeah. we'll be in touch. <laughs> okay, definitely. Well, there you go. Time traveling, quantum physics, and so much more and how you can get creative even if you're an entrepreneur so check Derek out and you never know who I'm gonna have on this show so stay tuned to wake up with KC